1: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded.
2: This is Women To Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way. Unless it is driven by self acceptance. Women to watch, sharing the real
3: stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by
4: women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given.
0: Who are encouraging
5: more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that
3: more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women To Watch, Sue Rocco.
5: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women To Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's great to be here with everyone. Um, Before we get started, just a brief reminder, as always, to stay with us during our breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of women leaders. These are corporate partners who bring news and information from their industries to the show each week, and we continue to be so grateful for their support. If you're interested in learning more about our watch team and would like to be a part of the show yourself, feel free to email taylor at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I am very excited and honored to welcome to the show Marion Weiler. Marion is the founder and CEO of Weiler International, and she's joining me from beautiful Florida. Marion, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sue. I'm so excited to be here today. It's wonderful to have you. Um, I I want to start off um, talking about your your home country and tap into a little bit of whether you can remember what the community was like in Germany and what led you to come to the U.S.
6: Yes, I I absolutely can remember. I I have very fond memories of Germany and my home and actually my whole family is still there. So, you know, I I had this dream when I was a little girl and I grew up in in an environment that had very clear gender roles and uh limitations as i found later on in my in my life but at the moment when i was a child i enjoyed that experience of you know having my mom at home and uh being involved in sports and and just even from a school schedule being off earlier and and being outdoors and adventurous but as i grew older i realized that there were these clear gender roles and that i was going to be in certain categories, like we, we all label sometimes where we fall or, and particularly for girls, I realized early on in seventh grade, when all the girls would go and they would start to learn how to knit and the boys would go into technical subjects. And I just didn't feel like I fitted in any of these categories. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the start of me questioning the system and saying okay well I have dreams I want to go and and at that time it was really only high school was my big dream to say I want to go to 13th grade because it's the system is different many of the students leave at 10 and then they go, go start a professional career and the companies are supporting them in their growth but that was the beginning phase when I said well I want to learn another language because I want to go through high school. And later on, I decided I wanted to pursue a college degree and and the rest is history. Um, Actually, which at the point of me being in my early 20s, I decided I didn't just want to study international business management, but I wanted to experience it. Mm. And that's when I first came to the United States. Life changing.
5: Yeah. Do you see similarities between, um, the culture in Germany and here in the U S with regard to that, um, kind of traditional upbringing and, um, something that you shared with me when we first met was that you, you were raised to not question authority. Um, Yes. and I'm always curious, you know, how far does that Mm -hmm. go, um,
6: around the world? That is interesting because I feel when we're looking at just the construct of Western society, of course, there are similarities that, you know, we we seemingly have all the options, right? It's presented uh, as if there are all the options. And even when I look at my university uh, class, we were 50% women or, you know, young, young uh, females. But then it changes down the road, especially when there are children involved. And so from that perspective, it might appear as if there is a lot of similarity, but then there are these unspoken rules, these 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 um gray lines I call them where the expectations come in. And and that's what we were discussing when we first spoke, uh, Sue, where For the longest time, I didn't even realize that I had these underlying beliefs where you would not question somebody from uh, either an authority, uh, whether that is, you know, any kind of um, police officer or, um, you know, in high level positions like considered like attorneys or doctors or, you know, other um, very successful professionals. And so when I started a role in California and I was in the construction industry. I was the only female at the table. And at the time I was still fairly early on in my career. And I learned that I was sitting there and I just didn't feel like I had the right to be at this table. I had the right to speak up and, and actually question certain things that I felt needed improvement. And clearly they they came to me and I was working with the board and I was working with the executive team, team down the road. They wanted to hear my opinions, but I just didn't feel like it was my place being their junior and being surrounded by all men that I should be speaking up and share my ideas. And so that was that moment where I had a lot of learning to do as far as understanding myself, understanding my value. And the mentors really played a critical role. And in my case, they were all male. Um, Every single mentor that I had throughout my career. And as I progressed and, and I came to the levels that I always envisioned and dreamed about for me in my career, I realized I am now in this role. I need to start stepping up. To be that leader and be that mentor for other women, because that is something that I have not myself experienced in the corporate world where I felt uh, more that there was a competition among women. And what I wanted to see was that we're lifting each other up.
5: Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with uh, Marion Weiler, the founder and CEO of Weiler International, which, by the way, Marion works with um, top executives and leaders um, and helps with their growth uh, professionally and personally, I will say. Um, you know, as you're talking about that, Marion, I think it's so common. Historically, it has been for women to struggle with finding that confident place finding their voice when would you say was the turning point for you in in, in finding that
6: yeah the, it started when I in that very same uh, company when my direct supervisor he actually pushed me and he threw me quite in uh, at times when I you know when when I would come after the meeting I would share with him all my ideas. And he said, you don't need to share them with me, you need to share them in the group. And so he would put me out there in meetings, and he would say, "Marion, what do you think about this? I know you have some ideas you shared with me, why don't you share with the group? And so I had no more choice, but actually speak up. And once I got the hang of it, once I realized they needed my ideas, they were looking for my input, and they were looking for my business experience because at the time it was a monopoly so they didn't have competition they weren't necessarily acting in the most competitive or business savvy way so they they needed that input and they were seeking it and when i realized that my opinion was valued and appreciated and actually really needed to make it better for everybody involved that was the turning point and then it it literally came out of me like to a point where I had to um, make sure it wasn't too much because I I felt like I was freed oh, from these yeah. invisible um, tights that, that I you know was now really in a in a situation to step into my own power. You know, so often um, it takes
5: someone else believing in yes. us and telling us we're capable before we actually believe it ourselves. Um, we're going to go into our first break, stay with us for our watch team and we'll be back with Marion Weiler.
3: Now the women to watch finance, watch
7: finance, watch at Penn community bank. We're committed to giving you the tools and resources you need to succeed financially. Building wealth may seem like a daunting or distant goal, but just like most goals in personal finance, the earlier you start the better. There's no right answer for everyone when it comes to what exactly to invest in. What securities you buy and how much you buy solely depends on your comfort level of how much risk you're willing to take. If the stock market is unfamiliar territory, but you're ready to take the leap, mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, known as ETFs, are an excellent stepping stone into the world of investing. A mutual fund allows you to allocate your funds based on your goals by investing a certain amount of savings each month. By setting up auto debit from your savings to your mutual fund every month, you're bound to stay committed to your investment strategy. When you invest in an ETF, you're investing in a mix of stocks. Some may decrease in value while others increase, but the goal is ultimately to be steadily building an overall return. Just like a mutual fund, the risk is spread out across multiple companies. Investing is an excellent way to prepare for your future. Whether it's buying a home, saving for your child's education, or setting yourself up for a worry-free retirement. Visit PennCommunityBank.com to learn more. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. Women
4: to watch. Sports Watch. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welker and you are listening to Sports Watch. It is so important and so powerful that we can see in places like the NBA, women like Kate Scott in authority roles, being the voice, being the face, being the person who everyone who loves the 76ers and everybody who plays against them. So, you know, you may have a little bit of that love and hate thing, right? Because you competition, that's what we have. will see and hear a woman's voice. It will create a new normal in that it's not out the box to hear a woman or to see a woman in that role, but there will be generations of kids who grow up not knowing the sport or their team any other way. And let's think about the days when how powerful it is that we are talking about second, thirds, and fourths, as opposed to this is a first and the questions that are associated with that. Can it work? Will people like it? Well, you know, the truth is that it can work, it will work. And she has been working a very long time to earn this position. And I I certainly hope that she will set a standard where she is no longer the exception to the rule, but that the rules are changing. And we will look for more women to take up similar roles across multiple sports. And you know, cheers to basketball and the 76ers specifically for leading the way with her in that role. Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures on Welter 47 on Instagram or at welter 47 on Twitter.
3: This is Women To Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
5: Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this evening by Marion Weiler, the CEO and founder of her own executive advisory firm. I will say, and um, Marion, I, I was curious what made you choose Hawaii Pacific University from all of the schools in the U.S.
6: Coming from Germany, <laughs> yes, right. I get that question a lot, actually, and the the answer is quite simple. I was studying international business management. I was intrigued from a very early age on when I started playing sports and I had an international trainer and I was introduced to other cultures. And I I got really curious about that. So I studied international business management and took that to the next level. And when I graduated in Germany uh, with my bachelor's degree, I was at the moment of decision, whether or not I would go pursue my MBA. And I decided to do that after I had an internship in California and I really enjoyed uh, the US lifestyle. And I just saw a lot of opportunity for me opening up. And when I did the research on the schools, Hawaii Pacific university, which actually is a private school on the island in Honolulu, they had a fantastic international program. And we had students from countries that I didn't even know where on the map they are. Mm. It was an incredible experience to learn about their culture, to learn about their backgrounds and incorporating that experience into the curriculum really made for a, for a theoretical, practical mix that I, I personally very much enjoyed and, um, The connections I made at the school were just fantastic with people from all over the world. Can you talk about um,
5: what was your very first job out of college and how did you land that job?
6: Yes. So I actually, I chose a path that is very common in Germany. After 13th grade, I went into an apprenticeship Uh, with a financial institution. So I learned the ins and out of uh, finance and finance advisory. And after I finished uh, that program, I decided to go to school and go to college. And so I was, um, during my college years, I was an intern for a German company in California. So for me, when I got done with my master's degree, I decided actually at the time to go back to uh, Germany, and I worked for Cosmopolitan magazine in, in Munich because I had a lot of experience gathered working with global companies and really powerhouses, I would consider them brands that everybody knows, whether that is IBM or it was um, BMW, I worked with them on a few things, and, uh, and then Cosmopolitan magazine. But what I realized at the time was twofold. One was I really wanted to be back in the United States.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: And second of all, I was the, the industry of um, cosmopolitan where it's a lot for the visible eye. It's a lot of that sophistication of what you see. But um, I was really more interested in working for a company where I could make a real difference and, and find better ways and and improve and put puzzle pieces together and just make things work smoothly. And that's when I uh, relocated back to California. And I started the work at the company I mentioned to you where we were in construction in the construction industry and the company found themselves at that time, at a time where they started getting competition and they were just not ready for that. They were a monopoly for many, many years. They were standing for technical excellence. Nobody could reach them in that department, but working with global manufacturers from all over the world, we needed to introduce more of a business acumen and more of business optimization and frankly, a a business environment that was lending itself to support all the different stakeholders that we had, whether that was regulatory or it was global innovative manufacturers. And so we had to bring all these pieces together. And that is when I, that's where I am home. That is the type of work that I love to do. When I see we have a really good company. We have many, many strengths and a much needed service, but we are not set up to compete. We're not set up for people to thrive. We are not set up to innovate and to really charge forward. And that's where I came in and I built up the business uh, division and the marketing division for that one subsidiary. And I spent quite a few years at this company working with the board and the executive team. Can you talk about,
5: Marion, when you are um, given an example of recognizing colleagues, um, whether they are executives or, or not, um, were unhappy in their mm-hmm. roles and in the companies and where you kind of really started to connect the dots between, you know, systems being successful and correct or mm-hmm. versus people
6: being um, working to their potential? And wanting to ask yeah. that, yeah, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question too. Because I've realized that in in every single company I've been at, and that is why I started my own advisory firm. One of the big reasons why, because when I um, came to that one uh, California entity, I realized that there was a lot of talent that were was in roles that wasn't necessarily lending themselves to grow or to develop or to thrive. And so in essence, you are you, you have talent that is then going to go somewhere else because they can't see an opportunity for them or they are just not leveraged. They are not happy. They are not motivated or not performing. And they're clocking in and clocking out. And so leveraging that talent and really providing a place to be where they are enjoying what they do and they were able to bring their ideas to the table, really started at that um, at that particular role. And then continued on in other firms that I was uh, part of the executive team where I had, even within my team, I had tremendous talent that was just not leveraged and not truly understood uh, of what we needed to develop. And it was more of the leadership by default versus Mm -hmm. how can we help our employees thrive? Because ultimately that is our responsibility as leaders. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think women are often
5: the ones that recognize this Mm -hmm. before um, men do. We're going to go into our next break. I want to talk a little bit more about this when we come back. Stay with us for our watch team. And I'll be back with Marion Weiler, the CEO of Weiler
2: International. Now, the women to watch. Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. You know, military service is a family of...
0: You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast.
2: The quirks, the challenges, the unique experiences of the military lifestyle deeply affect not only the one in uniform, but also their spouses, their children, and other family members. Now, Blue Star Families, a leading national nonprofit focused on supporting military families, recently conducted a survey to understand the experiences of military families of color. Of the over 2,000 respondents, 46% considered racial and ethnic discrimination when choosing where in the United States they would like to be assigned. According to the survey results, 54% feared for their safety at least once in 2020 within their communities due to their race or ethnicity. Four out of 10 respondents have difficulty finding healthcare providers that meet their social, cultural, or linguistic needs. Though more work needs to be done to address these challenges, military families of color do view the military as a place of opportunity. Survey respondents also reported the military had a positive influence on their professional growth, their financial stability, and their education attainment. The racial and ethnic diversity in the Department of Defense nearly doubled in the past 30 years, with 41 percent of military members identifying as members of a minority group. We must continue to create responsive and inclusive environments for service members and their families, as these will directly affect readiness and retention of these talented and dedicated soldiers, sailors, marine, airmen, coast guardsmen, and our new guardians. To learn more about Blue Star families and their report, go to the BluestarFam.org.
3: You're listening to Women to Watch
2: with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210
3: WPHT.
5: Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Marion Weiler, CEO and founder of, of her own company, Weiler International. Um, Marian, I wanted to start this segment off with a quote because I think this talks about um, kind of your mission and goal. You said, I knew I wanted to create a corporate world where suffering no longer had a place and people were treated with the respect they deserve what was your first step in establishing your own global firm so you you recognize this desire in yourself um, and then take a, taking a risk mm-hmm. right going out and starting your own company what was the very first thing you did to make that happen
6: it it's took a long time for me to make that decision. I have to preface this uh, conversation, because I always had that dream for years, I wanted to start my own advisory firm. And I just never mustered up the courage, uh, quite frankly, to do that. And when I was at the point where I realized that I had experience after experience where I felt like there was so much potential left at the table, both on the organizational side, professional side and personal side of including myself uh, towards the end where I just felt consumed by the things that I felt could be so much better. And they could be so much more seamless and we could really create a change and an environment that would lend itself to these amazing results, but we didn't. And so that was the moment I realized I will never change that unless I'm going out on my own and I'm helping these companies and these leaders with my learnings and my experiences to to put this all together and create an environment where everybody can reach their potential company leaders, as well as the talent. So when I first launched out, uh, we were literally a month before the pandemic. And I made the decision, I said, I I am going to start my own global advisory firm. So now where do you start, right? The first piece was Mm -hmm. for me to, to understand like, what exactly is it that I am all about? Because up to that point, a lot of it was skill-based. A lot of the roles I held were marketing and marketing is one of the topics that is so often misconceived. People think of design and creative when they hear marketing, but it's so much more than that. Brand loyalty starts within the organization with your very own talent, with your very own employees. If they're not happy and they're carrying that message outside, you're having a hard time creating their brand loyalty to the outside, because it's truly every touch point of the organization. So I realized that I needed to align my business with my values. And that is where that respect and and treating people with respect and coming together with individuals, clients, partners, companies that had the same values as I did and that is when I looked back, even how I operated, I was always very much concerned about the well-being and the effectiveness and creating that place to be for all the team members, much more so than I was concerned about my own well-being to some extent. Sometimes that was hurting me in a way, but I felt that that was my responsibility as a leader. And what I found in corporate environments that there were extremes. It was either let's take care of the employees at the expense of being efficient and being productive, or let's put the people at the back end. Let's make sure we have the results and the financial results are coming. And then the employees are the afterthought. And I didn't like either approach because I knew there is a better way. There is a way to really tap in to connect with your employees, to connect with your vendors, with your partners, with your clients on a whole new level and to streamline and create efficiencies within your organization and get more intentional about what it is that you do. And so in order for me to provide that to the companies and for us to find each other, so to speak, I had to clearly define what were my values, what were my non-negotiables. And that was a a process, quite frankly, because I kept coming across companies that seemed like they had it all together, but they didn't really look for that underlying value or that underlying uh, web. They were looking for the quick results, for the quick financial results and successes. And, And so that was a bit of a an experience for me to, to really tap into, like, what feels good. And I know it sounds a bit intangible, but at times when you're connecting with companies, and at this point, I am, I am really quite excited about the fact that the clients I'm working with, we're connecting on a whole different level. We are in this together. It's as if I am part of the team, as if this is my company, and I take that responsibility in my advisory services to say, okay, really understanding all the different players, and I am sitting with them in one boat creating that change.
5: So let me ask you this. You are there, you're hired and brought in to help them. So when, mm-hmm. h- how do you determine whether this is a company that you will be able to help and perhaps um, help them see the importance of focusing both on the people and the, the systems and structure? Or perhaps they're not a right fit. So what questions do you <laughs> ask to determine that?
6: you can usually tell uh, pretty early on. Obviously, we have a conversation and, and the client or the potential client is sharing with me what they're looking for to do or what the challenges are that they're experiencing. And then we're seeing whether or not there is a fit. And the one thing that I um, that I always point out, it's the 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 symptoms right we we don't want to just look at the symptoms we want to look at the root cause because if somebody comes to me and says oh we you know we have employees they don't really seem to care well it's usually not that the employees don't seem to care you look deeper into the next level and you find that perhaps your leadership team keeps changing they keep getting different um they hear different priorities every week. They don't know what the roles really are or what the expectations are, or they feel disconnected, or they don't feel like they have a growth opportunity. So, that, And that's just one example to really dive in and say, okay, those are the symptoms you're experiencing, but what could possibly be the root cause? And when we get to that point, usually it's that aha of like, wait a minute, you're right. Perhaps we have this and we have that. And then we're already kind of starting where now we just need to look at which piece of your business do we need to tweak? Do we need to align? What puzzle piece needs to go where?
5: Yeah. Um, we're going to go into our last break. And when we come back, I want to talk more about you and your life. Um, I want our listeners to know you happen to be a mom of, is it's it four children or Four girls, or yes. Poor girl. Yeah, that's a great topic. Um, And really how you've managed to not only be growing during COVID, the pandemic, which was just incredibly a scary time, um, but do so without having to sacrifice, you know, your family life and and your dreams. So stay with us for our watch team. And we will be back with Marion Weiler, CEO and founder of Weiler International. We'll be right
3: back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. How to get buy in and launch your creative ideas. Hi there, my name is Diana Barnes, or DB as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Today I want to talk to you about how to get your leadership team to buy into your creative ideas. Brand building is essential to creating a business that stands the test of time. It's also one of the hardest aspects of business to measure and quantify. So how do you convince your leadership team to green light a project or a campaign that doesn't directly drive sales? Here are my three tips. First, think like your CEO. Imagine you're the CEO of your company. Ask yourself how your project supports the business. Your answer does not need to be tied to sales to be important. Does your request help position the company as a leader in its industry? Maybe it improves customer experience or boosts brand loyalty. Each of these contributes to the success of a business. Number two, timing is everything. Does your project require $50,000 that isn't in your budget? Part of creating a successful pitch is developing a successful plan, and that includes budgeting. If your idea is costly, find out when your company begins budget planning and arrange to make your pitch during the beginning of the process. And last, be flexible. My experience dealing with nuns and rock stars well prepared me for working with CEOs. My best advice is to know your facts, especially the math. Have the answers and expect the unexpected. Think about what in your plan can change to meet the requests of your leadership team without sacrificing your goal. Be flexible and be willing to work with your boss to give them skin in the game and a stake in your idea. I use these three tactics to get buy-in from my colleagues on Munchkin's executive team and our board of directors to launch Stroller Coaster, a parenting podcast. We've become trailblazers within our category, and the show was ranked among the top 2% of shows within Apple Podcast Kids and Parenting category in our debut season. You can listen to it at StrollerCoaster.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next time. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
5: Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for listening in. I'm having a conversation with Marion Weiler. And, um, Marian, we, you know, the first half of the show, most of the show was about your career and your, your company and the work that you do. I want to talk about you and really what has allowed you to continue to be in us just a positive place, um, emotionally, mentally as a mother of four girls with your company during what has been a very difficult time for everyone. Um, so t- my I guess my first question is, is your, um, your, not your tactic, but your philosophy for your company is really a holistic approach. And it's what you describe yeah. as the human factor. Does that carry mm-hmm. over to your personal life? And is it what has been, oh. you know?
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm a big believer in a holistic approach and I do believe it's like a wheel, right? If you focus everything on one side, the wheel is not going round. It's not going smoothly. And the same has always been true for me in my personal life and my professional life. There Areas there's our health, there are our friendships, there are our relationships there's our business, and then there is in my case, I have a family and I have four girls and so one of the things that I have um noticed about myself is when I spend time on the activities that give me energy, like I love the fact that I run my own global advisory firm, and I can make the decisions and I can work with leaders to really. Um, move things forward. And at the same time, I love being with my girls. And I love seeing them develop into the very own leaders that they already are every single one of them. And even at times when they chime in, because with the pandemic, as you had said, we were all at home, everybody was at home. And they would overhear sometimes conversations, they would give me feedback, and they would say certain things that just at the moment made me laugh but i realized how true and genuine uh children are and how much of uh they they are putting one and one together and just you know to, to give you one example like one time i was getting ready and i was putting on or i needed to put on my suit but i wanted to get the kids ready first and so one of my girls looked at me and she said are you gonna go on this video like this and I said, well, what do you think they would say if I'm here in my training suit, right, my Puma training suit? And she said, well, you're going to have to change. And then my other daughter said, well, actually, maybe that wouldn't be so bad because you're so awesome the way you are. You just got to be just how you are. And and just that conversation just made me smile. And they bring so much joy. They bring so much energy. And yes, is it at times exhausting? Absolutely. And I think realizing that we all have our limits. And for me, what I realized over these two years of the pandemic is that I need to take care of myself first in order to be the mom I want to be, to show up the the way I want to be as a mother, as a professional, as a wife, as a daughter as a sister as a friend it doesn't matter i have to make sure that i am in a good place and with that comes my daily walks my me health, my healthy eating or at least trying to be as healthy as i possibly can but also sometimes having grace with ourselves and realizing okay today isn't my day Uh, perhaps i just need to take a break and really listening into the the voices that we have. And I found with myself and some other women that I've got to know, I think sometimes we're so hard on ourselves, or we feel guilty, we feel like we have to give up ourselves, or we need to do more, we have to be there for everybody else at the expense of ourselves. And I think that is definitely something that I've realized for myself, I am showing up much more powerful when I take care of myself and I have the right to do that just as everybody else does. And that is perhaps another bigger difference that um, I've seen culturally where sometimes when I was in Germany, um, especially those two years where we took the family back there, when somebody would say, well, you have to make sure uh, you have to take care of your husband. And, and my response would be, well, he can very well take care of himself. We are all responsible for for ourselves, ultimately. And yes, do we pour ourselves into other people too? Of course, but it can't come at the expense of our own well-being. You know,
5: I think it's so hard, Marion, when we talk having four girls. I wonder how difficult you find it is to raise them to be independent and true to themselves. In kind of the kooky world uh, of social media and um, technology um, and how we encourage them to to be leaders and be successful and have mm-hmm. ambition, but at the same time, not get wrapped up in the, the bad messaging. How do you find mm-hmm. that balance with them when you're speaking to them? Mm-hmm. So they don't feel that it's, pressure to be perfect.
6: Yes, and I we have we communicate a lot. We talk a lot. We have Our designated family times, like meals, are very important to us to have them together whenever possible. We have no electronic devices when we do have meals or when we do have family time. So as I do in my work, I'm very organized at home, or we are very organized as a family. And we also do have... We accept help. I think that's another thing that I've seen oftentimes with women that are feeling guilty if they are accepting help. We have somebody who, you know, helps with the girls who does who who does their laundry or, you know, certain things so that we can have the opportunity to spend that quality time. And believe me, there's still plenty of stuff that needs to happen, uh, even with help. But that holistic approach and really that communication and connecting with them, i finding is really, really important, like sharing our values, sharing our beliefs, and sharing, uh, perhaps that if they do something that didn't work out for them, let's, let's talk about it. Let's find out, like, how could you do this differently next time? How could you create a better experience? And... For us, one of the values that has always been very, very important is that kindness. You treat other people, other kids with respect. There is a level of kindness. And it made me so proud the other day when one of the boys um, that in their class had their glasses kicked off. And my girls went over there, they helped him up, they picked up his glasses, because the poor kid couldn't see anything. And so those are the kinds of Testaments to me of being a good human being. We can all be very successful, but if it comes at the expend, expense of being kind and being respectful and just being a good friend and a good human being, that is a non negotiable. And that is what we are carrying through with our girls and taking or getting that extra mile in to make sure that they are understanding those values and living those values is very important to us.
5: Yeah. I agree with you so much. You know, being good people should always come before being successful. So I think that's a great way to end the show, Marion. And I thank you so much for taking time to share your story with our listeners. And I wish you continued success. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Sue. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Liz Kaplow, founder and CEO of Kaplow Communications. Have a great week, and thanks so much for listening.
2: Thanks for listening to Women to Watch
1: with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been
2: pre-recorded.